Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Carrie Crock shares a story about family. <clears throat> oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing Cause I built my life around you But time makes you bolder Even children get older And I'm getting older too That is why I chose to speak tonight. I told um, Amber and Deb when I met with them that I was compelled this month. It's not a choice. I'm telling this story because I feel like I have to. So it's mostly for me, but I think that there's um, this life that we live, there's this thread, and we all kind of pick up pieces of it every once in a while, and we're human, and we have things that um, things that we keep behind closed doors and things that we keep stuffed in closets and things that we try to keep from the light of day, uh, but it always comes to light. So, do you know about wolf spiders? Mm, all right, well, let me tell you a little science. Uh, first of all, I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was born in Milwaukee. We don't have to talk about Green Bay today. Um, we're healing. We're healing. <laughs> Stop that. None of that. Um, and uh, wolf spiders. I worked at a state park once um, as in maintenance. I was the only girl on the maintenance team. And I learned about wolf spiders. Wolf spiders are, they're big. They're, they're like the big ones. And they have big bodies. And if you look up close, the women, the women, the women wolf spiders, <laughs> They carry their babies on their back. And for a while, they carry them in an egg sac that is attached to them. And so their bodies look enormous. And then at some point in their gestational period, the sac will erupt and the spiders will come out. Um, Humans, uh, in general, have one baby at a time or two. Octomom had eight uh, wolf spiders have about 18,000 babies. That I'm making that up. <laughs> I'm a bit of a drama queen. Uh, so they have many, many hundreds of babies that burst out of this sack. And uh, one night I was living in Riverview uh, in 2008, and I had a sheepdog. I have, I have sheepdogs. I have a sheepdog named Gertie, and she was laying on the floor, and this wolf spider was like, walking along the carpet. And I was like, oh, shit. She, Gertie was sound asleep. I grab her and I scoop her up. I throw her on the couch. And I'm like scared. And I take a book that I was reading on true crime and I throw it at the wolf spider. And I heard this noise. Like, like that. Like, and all of a sudden, the book becomes engulfed with a million little baby wolf spiders. 
So of course I scream and I grab the Windex and I squirted them off. So uh, that was terrifying. And that feeling, it's a mixture of terror, revulsion, and voyeurism. I couldn't, like, you know, it was like something interesting to see too. At the same time, I wanted to like launch myself out of the room. So that feeling is to me what it feels like to have a family secret revealed. And if any of you have gone through that experience, kind of know what I mean. So uh, in 2003, I was here going to graduate school and uh, my mom had said, you're going to come home for Christmas. And I said, mom, I have a lot of work to do. I'm a graduate student. It's very serious. I have to work to do. I don't know that I can come home for Christmas this year. I was just home for Thanksgiving. I already bought you a ticket. I was like, oh, thanks. It's generous. Um, and we're going to have family dinner on Tuesday when you get here. Tuesday, two days before Christmas. Okay, mom, I guess I'm coming home for Christmas. I get home and my sister picks me up from the airport and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know, but it is weird in there. I was like, what's happening? She's like, every time I'm in the room alone with mom, she cries. And I was like, what in the hell's going on? Nothing like this really happens to our family. Like weird stuff like that. I mean, weird stuff happens. Um, My brother's in recovery, um, 20 years and coming this July. Yay, N.A. Um, let go, let God. And um, so that was weird. But other than that, like, I grew up in Wisconsin. My dad was, like, a soccer coach and vice president of our school board. And my mom was, like, always involved. She was, like, a substitute teacher in the school district. And then she became a guidance counselor. And so we were, like, that family. You know, three kids, um, country house. And we didn't have a minivan, but we had a conversion van. We had vans. <laughs> so that was our family. Soccer, choir practice, band, blah, 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 theater, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I never really went without anything. Very fortunate, very blessed family. So when weird stuff happened, it was really, it was very difficult. It was a very unusual um, feeling, but that's, you know, that's kind of true for anybody. So we're sitting around the dinner table. My sister had got, brought me home. And we're eating dinner, and my mom made chicken fajitas, which is our favorite uh, Wisconsin dinner from Mexico. Um, (laughs) And my brother is there with his first wife. (laughs) By the way, if anybody happens to listen to this, uh, my family, I love you very much, and this is my story. So that's a disclaimer. Um, So my brother was there with his first wife and myself and my sister and my mom and my dad. And my brother is hyper. And so at the end of dinner, he says, what's, what's, the, what's the meeting about? What are we going to talk about? And I was like, oh, Jason, you sure know how to ruin a fart. <laughs> we uh, kind of push ourselves away from the table. And my mom, her demeanor changes. And she kind of gets closed off. She's a guidance counselor, for God's sakes. She's all about feelings and loves people. And she kind of gets angry. And she says, your father has something he wants to talk to you about. And of course, like, you know, your brain goes a million miles miles an hour, and you're like, "Eh, what's dad going to tell us? So he hunkers down, and my dad is, like, gregarious. I get a lot of that from him. So my dad is this gregarious, like, larger-than-life fellow, and he, like, hovers into himself, and he, like, crouches down, and he puts a hand over his head and his head down, and he said, I've... I've been having an affair. And it was like, oh, 
Like, the baby, my sister, she gets up and she goes, fuck! And she goes running upstairs. And my brother jumps up in his recovery language and he's reading a book about radical forgiveness. So he's like, I forgive you. I forgive you. We're a family. We're going to work on this together. Let's pray. Everybody, let's pray. Everybody hold hands. Let's pray. And I'm just like in shock. I'm the middle child. Uh, I'm in graduate school. I don't know what to do. I look, I look at my mom and my mom looks at me and she goes, what? I thought you were going to say like something like, uh, well, that's nothing. I'm pregnant. And I look at her and I'm like, mom, why would I, I'm not pregnant. What do you, I'm what? I'm going to get the baby. So I leave the table and I go upstairs to my sister and she's freaking out. And I'm like, Leslie, we don't even know what's going on. Like, I got you. Like, I got you. She's, my sister and I are very close. So we go back downstairs and um, so we kind of have this weird messed up talk about the phone bill and my mom found out something and she went to my dad about it and it com- turns out that he's in a relationship with somebody else outside of their marriage for a year and a half. That's what we found out. That was two days before Christmas 2003. Christmas morning I got to ask my dad to go to a hotel because we couldn't stand being around him in the same room. That's my job in the family is to do stuff like that. It sucks. So, um, so that happened, and so that was like that wolf spider egg sac, like popping out a baby is what that feeling was. This something creepy crawly kind of enters your life. So over the next um, two years, three years, uh, we were just all sort of like discombobulated, you know? When you don't, we don't have a whole lot of divorce in my family. We don't have stuff like this in my family, and fortunately, but all of a sudden, everything became really real for me and questions about relationships and questions about marriage. My parents had been married for 35 years. I was 27 years old when that happened. And so things like your brain goes through. I started drinking. I've been drinking before that. I'm from Wisconsin, let's be real. (laughs) So I get back to school and I graduated and ah, it's just bizarre stuff that happens. And over this stretch of time in these years, you have to start to learn who your parents are as individuals because now this marital union is uh, driving apart. So I learned about my mom. She's very practical. She's got her stuff together. Her finances in order. She bought a house. She's great. Like, she was, let's get it done. And she's moved on. My father, on the other hand, he was like the dreamer, and he was like whimsical, and he was always looking for the next best experience, and the next great thing, and the next fun thing, and the next fun person, and he was, he was extravagant, and he spent a lot of money, and he did a lot of fun things, um, but he didn't ever really get it, that he was going to lose his family, and he was getting a divorce. That was, he wasn't quite getting it. So he went into treatment with my mom, they went counseling. And uh, he got diagnosed as a sex addict um, because of after all the years kind of went on in this saga, I learned eventually that my father had been unfaithful to my mother for 15 years, not a year and a half. So he was living a completely different life outside of what we knew, starting from when I was about 14 years old. So just weird Weird. When you try to put the pieces together, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know how you do that to somebody. Um, so 2006, my parents got divorced. I was 29. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I, I, 
had figured stuff out for myself. I was trying to figure stuff out for myself. Things were different. Holidays were different. Um, so, and then that reality of that occurred, and we never thought it would happen after 37 years of marriage. Never really put that into our mind space. So as the years went by, I tried to create separate relationships with my mother and my father. Um, and my father is not very realistic. Um, he was, like, wanted to ignore stuff and just be um, surface. So, but I was always kind of like there for him. And he, I was the curse of like the middle child. I was the favorite of my father. And it was something that my family members pointed out to me. Uh, it was a role that I had that um, at first in my life growing up, I just thought that was awesome. And then later on, it was like a burden uh, because it was like a resentment from the rest of the family. And I don't know, I didn't play it up or play it down. Just you can't help how you are in your family. Your family's just going to create itself. So um, I just got kind of tired of listening to him talk about all of his relationships and all these girls that he was with. And he bought the house that my mom and dad had built together as a part of the divorce settlement. So he was living in this big house. We would always say, like, hey, maybe you want to narrow it down, downsize a little bit. He got two giant dogs. He bought a boat kit. He was going to build a boat. And he was going to, he had this vision. I know my father. So he had this vision. He was going to put tool belts on his dogs and let them walk around and they would help him build his boat. <laughs> my sister was able to sell the boat kit back to the boat manufacturer. <laughs> so in 2012, my father died suddenly and unexpectedly at 66 years old. I was in Savannah, Georgia at the time at a conference, and um, I was with Remus. And we had to get back to Norfolk. My sister had uh, tried to call us, but I turned my phone off because I was at a conference. And so he was checking Facebook, and he said, Carrie, your sister's trying to call you. And I was like, well, okay. I turned on my phone, and I had like 15 missed messages. So I get on the phone with her, and she said, Carrie, I have to tell you something. I've been trying to call you. Um, I just have to say it. Dad's dead. I was like, oh, God. More baby exact things. So... Um, we had this rental car and we had all this crap and I was like not done with the conference so we just had to like get everything together and um, the air was like whooshed out of me and I started smoking cigarettes again oh crap sorry mom it's me on the podcast Um, so uh, we got back in the car I'll I'll live we got back in the car and uh, drove back to Norfolk and God when this happens your family is going to go stupid on you Um, When your parents get divorced, the responsibility of all the affairs lands on next of kin, who are his children, Um, of which there are three. My sister is the baby, and myself, and then my brother, the older child, who is, remember, hyper and, like, religious and in recovery, blah, blah, blah. So um, things started to go a little weird. We get, I get back home, and I got home as quickly as I could, and I spent, like, two weeks there. And my brother um, opted to, he was in his second marriage. (laughs) That's kind of funny to me. He was in his second marriage at the time. And uh, he chose to go to Myrtle Beach uh, with his wife's, second wife's family for her birthday for a week in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's like 2,100 miles away from Wisconsin. 
or whatever. It's not that far. Anyhow, so I get home, and we have a house, and we have all of his affairs, and we have all this stuff that we have to get together. So I get there to the house with my sister, and um, she's like, I got to tell you something. I was like, yeah? She's like, there's a lot of porn in there. It's like, well, yeah, I was like, I figured, you know, a single man living in a big house by himself. She goes, no, no, there's a lot of porn in there. I was like, all right, well, let's, let's get in there. So for the next two weeks, we endeavored to clean this house. Uh, my father, I really believe, was mentally ill you know, after he got divorced. I think he went into a, a depression. And I think the relationships were his way of trying to connect with people, um, but wasn't doing super great. And um, the house was, had been in disregard. And it was very messy, and there were these two dogs, and it was just like clutter and dust. He wasn't a hoarder, but he wasn't a cleaner either. So we cleaned this house, and it had years of dog dander and dust and stuff and stuff from when we lived there as kids and just a lot of stuff. So I had this wonderful friend that came and was helping us clean, and um, we started to see all this porn that my sister told me about, and it was books and it's movies and it's pictures of things that he would do with his girlfriends and sketches and my dad always told me that he wanted to be an English professor and he wanted to write a novel I found his novel it was one of those novels <laughs> so um, yeah, I was in his room and um, I was cleaning out all of his clothes and I pulled this box out and I swear to God it was going to be shoes because I just pulled out three different totes of shoes and it wasn't it was like spatulas and Japanese bondage and all kinds of weird stuff. And you know what? I did not know they sold lube in 32-ounce jugs. <laughs> I did not know that. Silk and Touch with the pump. Yeah, you had like seven of those all over the house. My father was 66, so he also had erectile dysfunction, which I learned. This is shit you're not supposed to learn about your father ever. And uh, lots of Viagra and uh, all kinds of other remedies to try to fix that situation. And um, I just said enough. And my sister and I decided that we were going to collect all this stuff and try to sell it because if he bought it, somebody else might try to, too. We found a buyer. I don't really, that's another story entirely. But we found a buyer and we made off a little bit of money for all that stuff. My, our friend Clint, wonderful guy, he uh, put it all in, in his trunk and took it out of our house so that we could have the family over. But there was a moment, and I was um, in my father's room, and I was standing about four feet away from where I know that he died, and I opened a window, and it was the second floor of this house that my parents had built, and on a hill overlooking like a bunch of different townships in Wisconsin. It was beautiful, and the July in Wisconsin is gorgeous, and the sun was kind of coming in, and this whoosh of like wind came in, and kind of like the dust and the dander and everything kind of swirled up and got sucked out of the air in the room. And I, I just kind of felt uh, presence. I don't know, you know, when you talk about that kind of stuff. But um, I just said, go with peace and, um, and go with grace. And I was, like, overwhelmed with this feeling of, like, responsibility and embarrassment and guilt and shame and, like, oh, I was not ready. I didn't want to be there at that moment. I wasn't ready. I didn't get everything done that I needed to get done with my father. And... Um, I just said, go in peace. And I know that that would have been the worst thing for him to know that his daughters 
cleaned up all of that stuff out of his house. But of anybody in our family, we were the ones that were going to do it the best in the most respectful way. So over the days that followed, um, we got the house in, in clean enough shape for family to come over and kind of remember our father as who he was and, and not that man. Um, came to find out, my mom knew, and my mom never really talked about her life with my father, about how she would get so mad and she would bag up thousands of dollars worth of porn and drive out to a dumpster in the middle of like rural Wisconsin and dump all this stuff. She never really told us about any of that stuff. Um, she was always trying to protect us. But uh, we got in the car one day. We were driving out of the house. to We're getting ready for family to come over, and I got into the car, and I was like, oh, Leslie, we cleaned so much. I feel like we got the house in really good shape. Like, at least nobody's going to walk in there and die. And we just took a beat, and we kind of looked at each other. It was one of those moments where that was the funniest shit I've ever said in my entire life. It was a good laugh that my sister and I had. So family all comes, and uh, Remus comes, and this month right now, actually right now, marks uh, four years that Remus and I have been together as a couple. And um, you know, there's moments when you're with somebody that you're with that you fall in love with them, like, so hard. And uh, he showed up at the house, and the rest of my family is being weird, and my brother is finally there, and he's being really weird and forgiving everybody and blessing everybody and not doing any work. <laughs> he didn't clean a damn thing. And uh, Remus showed up, and he went into the garage, and he grabbed a bunch of yard materials, like uh, saws and stuff, and he cleaned out the whole yard. He cut down all the overgrown brush. He made sure that the house looked good, cut down all these, like, weed trees and all this stuff, and uh, got the camera and went inside and took a picture of every belonging that my father had so we would have a recorded inventory. He just got it done. And uh, that's what we all needed in that moment was just somebody to get in there and get it done. So, um, you know, I I don't know. Like, the story of my father was sad. I didn't get to finish a lot of what I needed to get done with him, but I learned a lot. And you got to connect with people. You got to connect with your family. And you got to get your affairs in order. My father hadn't revised his will since 1989, and they divorced in 2006. So we had to get a lawyer. Um, But kind of the moral of this story is... um, Clean up your fucking porn. <laughs> that was Carrie Crook on cleaning up after family. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing your story. I'm Deb Markham, producer of Tell Me More Live. If you'd like to join us or help out in any way, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org. Org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.